So if you have not been here before or haven't been here in a while, we have been for two years studying the book of Luke. And last Sunday on the uh, historical first time First Baptist Church ever did not meet on a Sunday. Um, this was supposed to be what Pastor Jason was going to conclude because he started this whole study of Luke and he should have finished it. But uh, he also decided we were not going to have church. So we didn't. And um, we are going to have... Uh, me have to instruct you on the last four verses of Luke. Be glad it's only four verses, okay? If you will turn to Luke, the last chapter, 24, we're going to be at verse 50. Luke 24, verses 50 through 53, we're going to read together. I hear you turning pages, so I'll give you a second. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany... He, Jesus, lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. I want you to try to imagine, okay? Some of you guys are, are way older than me, and even you can remember... The beginning of the things that became amazing, like superheroes, things that were like, wow, that's really cool, Superman, things that can fly, people that, you know, powers that are amazing that would just make you kind of go, dude, that's cool. I always say dude when I think something's cool. That's cool, all right? We have been desensitized to such amazing things, but if you can for a minute imagine you are one of the disciples 2,000 years ago. It's pre-anything technological, right, other than the wheel and fire. So you've got these people who have been following this man who has repeatedly revealed himself to be something that he said he was, especially through the resurrection. He healed people. He turned water into wine. He rose people from the dead. He made people who were blind able to see. And then they killed him and he came back to life. If that wasn't enough, you're standing in his midst and he's kind of telling you a few things that you need to know. And then he's like, got to go. And begins to write, Casey, am I right, Casey? He rises up in his body and just keeps going until the cloud, we're going to see, envelops him and he's gone. Now, if we get past our understanding of things that kind of are like that and think the way a disciple would, it should blow your mind that that could happen. Because it did blow their mind. And as we're going to see, it brought a fulfillment of everything else they had seen, almost like that one last, okay, now I know. Now I got it. I can see here that it all became what it was supposed to. And I don't think that you can study something like this without a cheesy 80s visual from a church who tried to put on a play, I'm sure, and there's probably wires pulling that dude up, playing Jesus. This is the best thing I could find without it being a little too... Anyway, something along those lines. But I'm sure much more magnificent than that. He rose up from the ground and kept going and he never came back. He will come back, but he hasn't yet. Bodily resurrection and then bodily ascension. There's a few things we learn from these few verses that we just read. And I want to jump into these so y'all follow with me. Jesus led His disciples to another place. Okay? As He had already been doing. That was not out of character for Jesus. He led His disciples to somewhere else. Bethany, right? And our Savior still leads us to other places today. Sometimes it's actual geography that's different. Sometimes it's metaphorical type of things he's leading you to. 
or conversations to have with somebody or a relationship that you need to make better or start. He leads us in places. Are we still following Him no matter where He leads? Jesus also lifted up His hands and He blessed the disciples as He had already been doing. Again, not out of character with Jesus to bless the people that He was around. Now He lifted His hands to bless us we can lift our hands to bless Him. And the first thing that comes to mind is a physical posture of worship some people enjoy doing. Some people feel like, I'm Baptist, I'm never, we don't raise our hands, I'm keeping my hands down. Other people are okay with raising their hands up. But there's also raising our hands to bless others in service, as I know a lot of you um, are going to attempt to do in, in helping at the Gulf Coast, or several of our folks that are gone today doing that right now. We can lift our hands to bless other people, and in doing so, we are blessing Christ at the same time. In service. He lifted His hands to bless us. We should do the same. And another thing we learn is that while He was blessing them, He lifted off the ground and was physically and bodily taken up into heaven. It's important to note that after the resurrection, anytime else Jesus comes and goes, He just kind of vanishes and appears, right? Look back at verse 31. Luke 24, 31. It's like right there. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, Jesus, and he disappeared from their sight, like poof. Remember when he comes to see Thomas, just comes through a wall? That, would, that right there would be enough. Oh, you, you must really be Jesus. You just came through a wall. I mean, all the other stuff you did, that's cool, right? Comes through a wall. So he just comes and goes. But in this case, he ascends. It's the first time that he ascends. It's the only time. But then what happens next? As a result of what they saw, what happens next? Worship. That's what happened next was worship. It's as if all the things the disciples had seen with their own eyes came to a full understanding and a full fruition right then. And that's what it prompted. That's what it prompted. And how did they worship? With great joy, it says. In 52, they worshipped Him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And when we come to a full understanding finally of who Jesus really is, it should prompt us the same way. Worship with great joy. Recognize also that it was formal worship. It was not just the welling up inside of them, those, those feelings that we all enjoy when we know that the Holy Spirit's working on us and God is teaching us something and we're experiencing some cool growth and we get that feeling of wanting to worship. It wasn't just that feeling that their mind and their heart wanted to do it. It turned into formal act of worship. Okay? Because you can worship in lots of ways, and I hope you know this. It's not just here. It's not just when we're together alongside each other. This should be just one of many acts of worship that you've performed throughout your week as everything that you do is an act of worship if it's done to the glory of God. So it stirred those feelings, but it also led to an action that was formal. There's a, a theologian that I like, John MacArthur, and here's something he said. Jesus had opened the disciples' understanding and they perceived the full truth of His deity unclouded by the darkness of confusion or doubt. Because there had been confusion and doubt. Even when they saw Him come back from the dead, it was still, hmm. Now they fully understood. Okay? But that ascension seems to have eliminated the doubt because it all came together. It all came together. So now, in that formal act of worship, where did they worship? They went to the temple. The Jews, because that's what they were, right? They're Jewish. They praised God where to them God was known to be. Go to the temple. We'll go to the temple and we'll praise and we'll have worship there. 
that became the first meeting place of the church. Around the porticos of the temple, there were these small meeting rooms where you could go and have a little gathering if you wanted to. And that's what they did. And that begins the tradition that we have, that formal worship takes place in a building. Is the building the church? No. You know that, right? You and me, we're the church. But a place to formally gather, it can be a house. It doesn't have to be a set-aside thing that we call a church building. But somewhere that it's formal, it's intentional. It's on purpose. That's where the tradition begins. Now, it's important also to remember that all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are not always completely uh, telling the same story the same way. In fact, some of the writers leave some things out. So as we look at this ascension, we also want to look at the totality of what the rest of Scripture tells us. So let's turn to Matthew. Go to Matthew 28. Back a couple of, cha- back a couple of books to Matthew. First book of the New Testament, right? What do the other accounts from Scripture reveal about this specific story, the ascension? So Matthew's account stops just after the resurrection. In fact, Matthew doesn't mention the ascension. But he does give us Jesus' words of the Great Commission, which he no doubt gave right before he ascended. Okay, so Matthew 28, 19 and 20, what does it say? If you know this, recite it with me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus gave us instructions before He ascended. Matthew just didn't talk about the ascension. Okay? Now turn to Mark. One book to the right. Mark chapter 16. This is where we start getting some really cool other details about the ascension, because Mark does mention it. Mark 16, 19 through 20. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, He was taken up into heaven, and He sat at the right hand of God. Luke didn't tell us that. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed His word by the signs that accompanied it. Ooh, Mark's got a different perspective. And he tells us that Jesus went to sit at the right hand of God. Important to remember. John doesn't mention it. John is Jesus' best friend. He doesn't mention that Jesus ascended to heaven. It has been written that potentially the disciples were very distraught by this. You've been with us this whole time and now you've disappeared. When are you coming back? That sense of anticipation could have led to some distress in some of the disciples. But we do find even more in Acts. Another book that Luke wrote. So... Acts chapter 1, turn there please, 3 verses 9 through 11. So Luke wrote the book of Luke, and he also wrote the book of Acts. And Luke was a doctor, so he gives us some details, he gives us some different perspectives. Are you there? After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. More details. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Who's that? Angels, right? Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go to heaven. That's rich, y'all. Did you realize that that's where a lot of the things we know about, hey, when is Jesus... How's this whole Jesus coming back thing supposed to work, right? He's going to come back the same way he went up. So there's going to be, you know, what goes, to, what goes up must come down, including Jesus. All right? 
He's gonna, so this is where that thing that you know is supposed to happen comes from, right there. Angels came and told them in a moment of goodness, gracious, look at that. Jesus just went up, and we also learned from Mark that there was a cloud. Okay, So there's several things we can dig from this totality of Scripture. Jesus received a resurrection body when He came back from the dead, and He's now physically in heaven. We too will receive a resurrection body and live in the very real, very physical kingdom. There are people who like to try to explain away with all of their you know, human intellect as it is that Jesus, His spirit is what went up. He actually was just a spirit when He came back and when He floated up. It's, just a, it's, a, it's a ghost kind of thing. No. A physical body like you have, touch yourself, okay, went to heaven and is there right now and is going to come back the same way and you're going to get that same resurrection body and be in the kingdom at some point if you follow and believe in Him. Second thing we learn from the totality of this lesson is that as Jesus ascended, there was a cloud. Not He floated into the clouds. There was a cloud, according to the text. Throughout Scripture, that cloud is a visible evidence of God's presence. It's also sometimes called His Shekinah glory. God was there to take Jesus up to do what Mark said, sit at His right hand. God was there. Jesus is one day going to return to earth the same way He ascended to heaven. And here's where we'll learn how He'll come back. And we learn it directly from angels who also dwell there. Those are some other things that we learn from that Scripture. So, what happens until Jesus comes back? What comes next? I want you to note this. When Jesus said on the cross, It is finished, He did not say, I am finished. Okay? He said, it is finished. What was he referring to? The redemption of those sinners, us. He did not say, I am finished. In fact, he wasn't. In fact, it's just the beginning at this point. He ascended so that the work could get started from what he began in us, the church. And it's exciting to realize that the ascension of Jesus was vital to the beginning of that work that we are part of. Through his body, that's us. He left us to do the work. And while Jesus did what only He could do on the cross to take our punishment, the telling of His story and the proclaiming of the truth of that has continued for the last 2,000 years. Through what? The church. The church. Not the building, not the temple. You. Me. That's how that story gets told. And it was central to beginning the work that we've. it's still going on. And Jesus was leaving earth was important also for the Holy Spirit to come. Okay? The Holy Spirit is our what? Counselor, our guide, our comforter, our teacher. The Holy Spirit is that part of the Trinity which lives in us and motivates and encourages us. Okay? A lot of Baptists don't like to talk about Holy Spirit. That's, that's a Pentecostal thing. Right? That's a charismatic thing. Uh-uh. The Holy Spirit lives in you and is your motivator, your counselor, your guide. When Jesus was here, what's one of the ones of names of Jesus? Emmanuel. What does that mean? God with us. With the Holy Spirit, it is God in us. It's not that Jesus is not important anymore. Of course He is. Everything is about. What does the Holy Spirit do? Everything the Holy Spirit does is to what? Point and glorify Jesus. Point to and glorify Jesus. But now you have the Holy Spirit is God in you. 
And for whatever reason, because God's in charge, right? We like to, that's one of the things people like to God God's still on his throne. Yes, he is. He decided that this was how it was going to be, so that's how it is. Jesus had to go up so he could send the Holy Spirit to us. That's how it went. And Jesus knew the importance of that. And before he went, he told us about it in John. Turn to John 16, 7. Even though John doesn't talk about the ascension, he does give us something that Jesus told us was going to come as a result of the ascension. John 16, 7. It says, But very truly I tell you, Jesus is talking, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The advocate. Now, I don't hear the Holy Spirit referred to as an advocate very often. Counselor, guide, teacher, indweller, motivator, helper, but advocate. That stirs up a word that can kind of be interesting in our world, especially in our political world. Okay, It's been co-opted by a lot of uh, movements, but it's important to remember the, the core of what that word means. An advocate is a champion or a helper, somebody on your side, sticking up for you, a supporter, a person that's in your favor, they're in your corner. So for 10 years before we moved here, um, I was a, a, a worship pastor, youth pastor at a church that wasn't big enough for to be my only job, so I was what you call bivocational. So I had a 40-hour-a-week job to help pay for the you know, million kids I've got, and then the church, okay? So that job was I was a crime victim advocate in a district attorney's office. So people who were victims of violent crime had somebody in the office to advocate for them, to push for their rights, for them to know what was going on with their case, stick up for them in court, sometimes get in trouble with judges and, and get contempt of court, things of that nature, to, to really champion their voice in that whole thing. Have you ever thought of the Holy Spirit like that for you? In your corner, not just a teacher, not just an encourager, but a champion for you, fighting for you, there to be your supporter. That's what the Holy Spirit also is. And what's interesting is the Greek word for this, I first thought parakeet, what? That's parakletos. Parakletos is the Greek word for advocate. And Jesus uses that word four times in the book of John. Four times he uses it. And it, here's what it means. One called alongside and sent from the Father. So the Holy Spirit is your advocate who was called to be alongside you and was sent to you by the Father. Now the Gospels include telling us what to do until He returns. We're to tell people about Him. We just sang the song. I love to tell the story, right? We're supposed to tell that in word and in deed. And that great commission to tell the story is what? Make fellow disciples, teach them everything He commanded, bring them alongside. Are we doing that? Are you doing that? Not in comparison to other people. You know, nobody's going to rack up points versus Billy Graham around here. Not about that. It's not a sandwich board on the side of the road screaming at people that actually turns them off either. In word and in deed are we telling the story that we say we love. The story of God sending Jesus and doing what He did. Are we still amazed at a literal, physical ascension, which to us is like, 
know, Superman can fly, right? Has it become that? Well, we got to take ourselves back to what it was really like to see him, the person you had become, you'd followed for three years as a disciple and had seen everything he did rise up. Are we still amazed? Or have we lost our wonder? Have we lost our sense of amazement? And has that led to our worship being stale and just kind of routine? I'm going to tell you right now, and I, if, if it was a mirror, I know it would be the same for me. I can stand up here every Sunday and tell you which one of y'all's not really worshiping. I see your faces. And I'm sure you see mine on the days that I'm just getting through it. Okay? We've all got struggles. We've all got things that will knock us into that. But where's our joy? We weren't at the ascension. They were. It led to them being joyful. Have we lost that? That worship? The, the work of the church, because the Holy Spirit came into us to get stuff done for the Lord, began right after this. We can't lose that vitality that we need in word and in deed. So this is a two-year study we're now finished with that our pastors began with us in Luke. It took us through this beautiful tapestry, this story, okay? Now put on your drama caps for a minute. Put on your awareness of literature. What does a story involve? It's got characters. It's got a setting. A really good story has a plot, has a theme, something you can follow. There's conflict, right? There's a climax to it. And there's a resolution to it when it's done. Am I right? I mean, you guys know what I'm talking about? You ever seen a film that was so bad that you can start picking apart where of those things, the theme or the setting or the characters or whatever was the worst, like the weak link in it? Shark Boy and Lava Girl, anybody? Sharknado? One through seven, I think there's a bunch of them. Bad, bad films, stories that you're like, oh my goodness, somebody, Right? When those pieces are missing, or where they're weak, you lose interest. Have you ever been talking to a young person or somebody whose rabbit trails are so bad that what you're telling them, like preachy, kind of instructing them, doesn't do anything? But when you say, hey, this one time I was going fishing, and you've got their attention, like they're turn, they turn and they're listening to you all of a sudden. You can tell it when somebody's up here and, pre- and somebody's preaching at you, but you say, start telling a story, everybody stops and pays attention. That's why we like gossip. That's why we like to hear, let me tell you what happened, so, so, right? Because you get that, you get the, oh, I'm hearing, I'm listening now. And what do you start picking up on? And can you repeat that? Oh, yeah, where they were, who was with, definitely who was with them, what they were doing, what time it was, who found out. That stuff starts coming together because I believe that we are wired that way to like the story, the full message of it. Primarily so we could really soak this up and absorb this. Because that's what we've looked at as a story. One of the things that is really cool, I think, about this specific story we looked at today is what the French call denouement. Okay? My mom told me to take Spanish in high school. I said, nope, everybody takes Spanish. I'm taking French. Look how good that's worked out for me. <laughs> denouement. All right? It's one of like four phrases I've still got. The denouement is the final part of a story where everything comes to a full understanding. Okay? 
After the climax, after the conflict, it's the resolution. It's it all coming together. It's that part of a movie where at the very end, the narrator is telling you, and this happened, and da-da-da-da, and they lived happily ever after, and then the ending titles start rolling, right? It's the last page of a book to where the author kind of wraps it up. The denouement. I think this is what's going on right here that John was talking about as he puts a final punctuation to the story of Jesus as he is, after he ascends. Jesus did many other things as well. Every one, if every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. In other words, there's a whole lot more to the story. We've got the stuff God thought we needed to have, but John, being a witness to it, said there was a whole lot more. And you've got a whole lot more in your story. And I've got a whole lot more in my story. When we find ourselves in His story that we can then use to fulfill the Great Commission, to do the job we were told to do after He ascended. Now, that's what we call a segue. I want to talk to you about the story. Okay? Used to be in radio, so that was fun. Starting next week, when Pastor Jason is back, he's going to give you the introductory lesson on why are we doing the story. Okay? We've been showing you videos. We've been linking things to Facebook. What is this? It's Scripture. The things in this book are nothing but Scripture. With some of the things taken out that might lead you down rabbit trails or that maybe are good for depth of study, but don't really tie the story together as easily. Okay? There's nothing removed that you can't go find then in your Bible. Let me just tell you, the book of Leviticus is not in here. Leviticus, yeah, somebody has said hallelujah. If you've ever tried to read the Bible, all the, it's January the 1st, Genesis, I'm going all the way through this. I got to Leviticus in late February, I'm done. Uh-uh. No more of what all that's about. All right, okay. That's not to disparage, not to disparage the book of Leviticus so much as to say the specifics in that don't necessarily clearly tie the rest of the story together of the narrative, of the tapestry, of how everything in Scripture points to Jesus. Everything in Scripture. Points to Jesus. And you're going to see how if you're part of this. Okay? Now, every book that we have to give you is free. Okay? Adults and people in the youth group, 7th grade through 12th grade and adults, you get this. One per person if you want it. If there's two of you or three of you in the house, say, we'll share, fine, take one. But there's one per person of this one for adults and 7th grade through 12th grade. Make sense? Below that in age... Third graders through sixth graders. Same book, paperback, with a few discussion questions added to it. It's the abridged chronological Bible. Not to replace your scripture, but to be the thing that we use as our jumping off point. Okay? Third through sixth graders, one of each. So you can read, third through, hopefully. Go to Elgin, we might need to talk. Third through sixth graders, skip. Okay? Then, below that, age-wise, first and second graders get the story for children. First and second grade, one per family. Okay? So if you've got multiple first and second graders, just get one of these. And finally, the fourth book is for the little ones, and it's called The Story for Little Ones. Pre-K and kindergarten. You like to read to your kids? If you don't, you need to. It's in the Bible somewhere that you should. Right? Lots of stories, lots of pictures. 
One per family of this. Now, the children's books we have at the Welcome Center. If you go down this hallway outside the church office, there will be deacons there after church to make sure you get the one that you need or two. Some families have multiple kids. I think we have a copy of all of this at our house, right? Because, yeah. So you get one, and then you grown-ups and youth group, there's some books here. And then at the end of that same hallway, you'll see a bunch of these stacked up with each other. Take one. In addition to that, if you don't take your book today, you can get them next week. We have these bookmark invitations, okay? There's a stack on each of the banisters. It's an invitation. It tells somebody in your life, somebody you, you want to tell the story to, about why we're doing this, what it is, little bullet points that are very explanatory, a map to the church, address, times, etc., etc. And on the back is a timeline of the story from the creation all the way through when you know where we are and then hopefully the second coming later on. Not hopefully, it is going to happen. But anyway. We're going to do this starting next week all the way through April of next year. Okay? This is what we're going to be working on. So take some of these and invite people that you know and make sure you know to be here every week. Now, how much are we going to have to read? Now, let me give you some dates. September 10th is next Sunday. You don't start this yet. You just go ahead and take it. September 10th will be the introduction from Pastor Jason. And that week, you will then read chapter 1. It's 12 pages. 12 pages. If you can't read 12 pages, please come talk to me. 12 pages, okay? Should, there may be people that can't. It's okay. And then the next one's like 15 pages, okay? A chapter a week for 31 weeks. The sermon he preaches will be about the chapter you just read the previous week. Your Sunday school lesson will be about the chapter that you just read. Your small group interactive questions that you have in your small group will be about the chapter you just read. Everything that we're teaching, including on Wednesday nights, except for Kingdom Kids, is going to be about the chapter you just read in the story. Anything unclear about that? Please don't leave without your book today. If you do, you can get it next week. Let's pray. Lord God, you wired us in such a way that the truth of the story of Jesus can be very real, and it is very real, and we know and we trust in it. As we sang earlier, we don't know why, we don't know how, but we know that it's true. And we know that anything we give to you, that we entrust to you, you'll take care of it until you come back. And Jesus, I know, we know, not only that you're going to come back, but how. You're going to come back the way Scripture taught us today, that you're going to come back in bodily form, back to resurrect all of us. Take us all to be with you. And until then, we know we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us if we believe in you and believe the truth and follow you the way that you want us to. And that Holy Spirit is our champion, our advocate, and our helper, and our comforter, and our teacher. So I pray as we examine the story, as we have for these past two years, as we continue to look at the whole story of Scripture, that you would reveal yourself to us and that you would reveal how we fit into that story and how we fit into the people that we are already a part of their lives or that you're going to send in our path and how we can tell them the story and do our work that you left us here to do. Please help this to be something fresh and real. Speak to us from it. Grow us. Not for any glory of this church, not for any glory of the people in it, but all for the glory of you, God the Father, and Jesus Christ the Son.
And all those who agreed said, Amen.